everyone, welcome to HubShot's episode 240. In this episode, we talk about HubSpot calls, conversation workflows, and outcome-based marketing. You're listening to Asia-Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm well, and good to see that Brian Halligan is on the mend also. That's right. See his Twitter update where he uh, explained or how he's had 34 screws added in various places in his body. This is is part of his recovery and getting him fixed up after his snowmobile accident, which we, of course, chatted about in episode 238 a couple of weeks ago, which had a nice poem, by the way, which didn't get anywhere near the response I felt it deserved. But we need to do some promotion, Craig. Yeah, promotion for that. But you know what? And this is, uh, I'm looking forward to having Brian back. We're thinking of your. Brian, and uh, yeah, looking forward to you returning. Now, listeners, as we mentioned, there is a HubSpot 28-day marketing challenge, and it's something that we're working on, and it should be ready in early April for our first cohort in May, Craig. That's right. Looking forward to that. And uh, we did talk about it last episode, but basically a work with you, guided work with you challenge to get a campaign in HubSpot and in market. In 28 days. That's right. So you're going to be using HubSpot Marketing Professional and be willing to do the work for it to work. Now, we're talking about recharge versus consistency, Craig. Now, this is a little bit of me just kind of justifying the fact that we take weeks off here and there because we took last week off. I needed a, uh, a week off for various things and so I took a break. But this is going to be a bumper episode because Easter's coming up and so we're and you're actually away and we're not going to record. We were originally thinking, oh, will we try and record too and then do an Easter special and all that? No, we're just going to do a bumper That's episode, right. this one. But it got me thinking about this whole idea of consistency because you know we do try to record every week yes and be consistent but i think sometimes it's good just to have a break and recharge rather than force through and perhaps not deliver quality so that's my justification i don't know i i i kind of alternate no we should be consistent and keep it going but then i'm like no i've I've just got to stay healthy i like the consistency and i think you know what it is a balance that's what it is and listeners if you haven't already signed up to the show notes you've got to get this one there's a really great little meme that craig's put in there i'm gradually improving the show notes every week ian and uh, you help me trying to put images um, funny things that's right uh, insightful things nice screenshots Uh, yeah trying to really add value so we're really trying to increase our subscribers to the show notes, please sign up and please recommend us to your colleagues. And thank you to those who've already recommended us and signed up. We really do appreciate having you on our mailing list. All right, we've got some quick shots of the week, Craig. And here's some of notice. HubSpot's customer report builder is now officially live. It's been in beta for forever. I actually didn't realize it wasn't live. We've been talking about it on the show many times. Well, it's actually live now, Ian. I know, surprising. That That is a great surprise to me, Craig. But hey, what do you know? All right, and then HubSpot has added a new workflow type called Conversation Workflows. And this is another example how a community request back in 2018 is making its way into the full product feature. Yeah, look, this is looks promising. And essentially what it is, is being able to trigger a workflow based on, say, a live chat being initiated or a Facebook messenger message coming in, or maybe at one of the support form emails. So a full disclosure, I haven't actually worked a lot with it. I've got a few screenshots in the show notes just about started playing with it, but I haven't worked in detail. One thing I noticed on conversation workflows is they don't have goals, which is interesting. 
Yeah, you can have suppressions to drop yes. people in and out, but not goals like normal contact workflows. But anyway, we'll dig more into that, just mentioning it as a quick shot this week. And then finally, you now have the ability to submit a forecast if you're looking at your sales forecasting. And this is something that we are trying out with all our customers, Craig, and I'm sure you are too. And you know what? I'm loving the whole sales side of the the system. They've really done it well, haven't they? And it's just incremental improvement, it seems. By the way, and we'll cover this later in the show when we talk about the throwback of the week. Yes. Have you noticed that the product updates blog hasn't been updated since <laughs> mid-February? Really? Yeah. I don't oh, know. No, Maybe I they've know that. decided that's not a worthwhile channel to use, but there's been so many releases in March. And in fact, just in the last week or two, look at product updates, heaps of things. And listeners, if you're thinking, where are these product updates? They're actually in, inside the tool. If you click where on the top right-hand side where your name is and you look for a menu item called product updates, you'll see it in there. So that's being updated, but obviously not the product blog, which is very interesting. So there you go. All right, on to our HubSpot marketing feature of the week, Craig. And this is to do with setting the domain to use with HubSpot file URLs. All right, I'll just explain this in case people are wondering. You know how you, you'll upload a file, HubSpot files, and then you go and share the link to it, and it'll have some f.hubspotusercontent.net, Correct. blah, 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 uh, URL, and you think, oh, gee, I don't like that. I wish I could just make it my domain URL. Well, of course you can. I hadn't realized this for a while. And by the way, it's not as though I went, oh, yeah, I definitely want to use those ugly HubSpot URLs. What happened was I was just inserting files. So we've got a capability PDF. I just yes. inserted to our about page. I'm like, right. I wasn't, I actually realized that, oh, hang on. This isn't, why isn't it just using our domain Correct. URL? Anyway, you have to go and set it. So I've got a screenshot. It's in the website settings, pages, SEO, and crawlers settings, which is not particularly intuitive. But then there's the default file manager hosting domain. Got a screenshot there. You can set it. Unfortunately, you can't set it per domain. So this is on the all domains. This, because, of course, we've got multiple brands in our portal. I wanted to actually have, you know, the file URL per domain. You can't do that, but so we've set it to our main one. So there you go. Now, listeners, if you don't have HubSpot as your primary, if HubSpot is not using your primary domain and say you've got subdomains, like you've got info at your business or LP at your business, you're going to have to choose one of those, right? So make sure that it's appropriate with what you're doing when you select that. All right, on to HubSpot Sales Switch of the Week, Craig. And this is about HubSpot calling. Isn't this getting fantastic reception from customers? It is, and it's being adopted by a lot of our customers and clients. And I know even the same for you. And even we're using it quite heavily internally. Now, that's the best part. Yeah, let's talk about the good and the bad. (laughs) There's really good things. Now, the the not-so-good thing at the minute is that if you don't have the international number format for the number that you plan on calling, it's going to tell you you can't do it, and it's going to pop up the screen where you can actually edit it and choose the country, which is fantastic. So I love that bit, and you can save it. It'll update the number. Obviously, you want to make this on a whole account-wide basis. That's a different story, right? And there's the gotcha. So we called HubSpot support today, and we thought maybe there's something that we don't know about. Anyway. There is nothing that we don't know about. Hey, just quick shout out to HubSpot support because that was very quick. It was. Jump on. Oh, give me a call. A couple of minutes later, bring, bring, they call. So yeah, sorry. And they actually even had a look prior to giving me a call, which is fantastic. And they mentioned there is actually a community item, which spans back again, I think since 2018 or even before, that was saying it would be good to have the number prefix as a default. So... 
We'll put a link in the show notes to go and upload it because it's definitely worth it. They're going to have to. They will. Now that they're yes. really promoting this yep. and it's rolling out and people are using it in anger, so to speak, this will be a key frustration for lots of people. So I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll see that come into the product quickly. Upvote it. Yeah, upvote it. Absolutely. The next thing I want to talk about is having the ability to, once you've actually had done the call, to select the call outcome and the type. And this is really around helping you understand the types of calls and the rates of success. So if, for example, sometimes we say it takes seven uh, calls to get through to somebody, we can actually understand, is it taking seven or is it a lot less? And the better the data, the better the outcome. And finally, the one that all people in sales are actually loving is that little create a follow-up task that's just below that, that just does it for you. Well, no, it's not just does it for you, but it just makes it simple in that single screen to make it happen and to carry on to your next task. Now, here's a little pro tip for you that I have discovered in my travels around is if you can create a task queue, so in your queues, create a task queue, make sure you're assigned to that or your team's assigned to that. You can actually input all of the call tasks into that queue and you can run through that queue in a sequential manner, getting all your calls done first and then moving on to your other tasks. So I rec- I've been recommending people do call queues or like their top priority queue, then they've got an email queue, then they've got a to-do queue. And some of our customers have admin queues where people in admin have to do certain things like post packages or follow up because it's a bounced email. And that's where those tasks end up in. But it's a great way to use and block your work. I think this is really good. And one thing that I just want to highlight is if you're a marketer and you might be thinking, or let's say you're an agency and you're thinking, oh, this is just for sales team. Sure, it is for sales team, but this is also your account management team, which Okay, theoretically, it's part of sales, but no, it's actually part of delivery. So it's almost part of service hub in a way that you think, oh, that's where this should be, but we're using it for account management. Of course, a little bit of sales, but account management, here's where big value is. Absolutely. So I encourage you all to have a look at it. And if you don't understand it, there is contextual help within the system. So I encourage you to have a look at that and work it out because I think it'll save you a lot of time and a lot of heartache. All right, next on to our HubSpot service action of the week, Craig. And you know how I love getting feedback using Service Hub. And this is one that we have implemented for a customer of ours, and it's to get feedback post a phone consultation. And this really started, I guess, a year ago when they were doing more consultations over the phone and just really trying to understand how people are feeling post that conversation because it's not a short conversation. It's potentially a 15-minute to 30-minute conversation because they get a lot of data because they want to give uh, designs back to people or understand whether a house fits on their block, etc. Why this has been good is this helps us understand how sales are interacting and are people actually getting value out of that session. So in the show notes, we put how this gets triggered is that a contact was created less than three days ago. Their original source is offline and we collect individual lead sources on this client and we say the lead source was a phone call. So that's how the criteria that triggers off this customer satisfaction survey. And you know what? Looking at it definitely gets people giving them feedback, which is fantastic. And then somebody responds appropriately if it hasn't met the requirements. All right, onto the HubSpot gotcha of the week, Craig. I got caught with this one. And this was a workflow failure when connecting to other systems like Asana. 
When we originally uh, created Workflow and connected Asana using one of our customers' logins, they left the business and they disabled their Asana login, but the workflow was still running and failing on that last step. <laughs> we had to create an Asana task. And then, uh, of course, I got a call saying, hey, what's going on? We're not getting any tasks coming through. And then I discovered we needed to reconnect with a new user to utilize the task feature. Now, I think in the period that we originally did this to the period today, it might have changed slightly or become a bit more robust where you can connect multiple users with a login to the system. But at the time when we connected it, you could only have one login from HubSpot to Asana. Yeah, that's right. Quite often for logins, we have a generic, say, a services at Zen or an info at yeah. for these kind of connections. But this is the problem. It's not when you have personal logins and they're responsible for the connections. Correct. And the, I guess the error is not very descriptive. It says an un- unknown error occurred and that is what happened. So there you have it. So I think the tip here is make sure you're reviewing your workflow errors and your systems that you're connecting to on a monthly or quarterly basis. I think, I think this is a really good point. I, I don't think I've ever checked workflows for errors. Ah. Yeah. So I wouldn't think to unless I noticed or I happened to think, oh, I haven't received any notifications of that recently. But yeah, that's not a good, that's not scalable. That's not a good process. No. Yeah. I think that's a really good checklist. Yeah. Every month. Someone's got to check the main workflows for errors. So what happened in this case? The workflow just got to an error and then it just finishes. Correct, just finishes, yep. So the the contact's not kept in the workflow. They actually finished the workflow. It's just that that action didn't didn't take place. Yeah. All right, marketing tip of the week, Craig. Perception is everything. All right, I saw this on Twitter. I thought this was great. Someone's created special packaging for different types of pasta Again, you've got to see the show notes to see this screenshot, but it's really good. I'll just describe it. It's very good. So it's made of silhouettes of, in this case, women's heads with hair. And so the spaghetti is like straight hair. It's kind of, the packaging has a see-through. So it's got a picture of a woman's head, Head. but the hair is see-through, like just clear through to seeing the pasta. You kind of got to see it to understand what I mean, but it's really effective. Very clever. It's it's very clever. Now, my point isn't, oh, this is going to sell buckets because I don't know what the sales results are. I don't know if people look at that and go, oh, that's ridiculous and don't buy it or whether they go, oh, this is great and they do buy it. That's not the point. The point is it stands out from all the other pastas. And I think people might've seen that one. Have you seen the one with nuts? And it's like, it's like big um, cheeks of a squirrel. Um, in the packaging. I'll try no. and find that. Oh, I'll try and find that for next time. But it's great. My point is perception is everything when it comes to differentiation. And so how do you stand out? How do you do something different? This kind is kind of wacky. I think it will work for them. I don't know, but I think it will. How does your marketing stand out? And we've chatted about this. We have. In current weeks. Like this is on my mind. How do we differentiate in not only a useful way, but a fun way? And here's just an example to, I guess, get the creative juices going. All right. On to our insight of the week, Craig. Outcome-based versus task-based marketing. I think this is a a really useful framing for marketers. So I'll just set the context for our agency. We're only a small agency, but I hired uh, four new people around February, onboarding them at the moment, and they're getting up to speed. And what I've realized is that just about anyone, unless you're particularly senior in a role, uh, these are more junior roles, you tend to just naturally adopt a task-based mentality. So we're doing marketing for clients and for ourselves, sure. So there's tasks. And we have checklists. We're actually quite good at processes. And I've got to thank Tara, 
the team. She's done an amazing job with all our processes and Roslyn implements them and she created this whole four-week onboarding thing for new staff. Like, it's really good, right? Yeah. But they're all processes and everyone in the team, they're very task-based. They're like, I follow this checklist, I do this. And what I've realized is there's there's got to be this change where it's not task-based, it's outcome-based, where they see the destination rather than just the steps in front of them at that particular moment in time. And I think this is part of maturity for marketers and perhaps for marketing managers as well, managing a team. So I wanted to raise this today because as part of onboarding, one of the things when you have a whole bunch of new people in the team is, of course, they detract from you because you've got to onboard them and answer questions. That's natural. And they're getting up to speed. So actually what happens very short term chaos kind of actually happens because your capacity goes down because you're getting new people up to speed. That's right. Quality can get missed because you're kind of distracted. And sometimes clients will complain. Now, we actually have this full, you know, I'll be upfront about the mistakes we make, you know, with- the, Trust our, me, I've had listeners. that too, Craig. <laughs> so, we've actually had um, two separate clients say, what's going on? You know, quality's yes. dropped. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we've, I've dropped the ball there and kind of thing. Anyway, I was chatting with the team with this last week. I was like, okay, what's happened? The quality's changed. Why and how can we stop this? Or how can we fix this so it doesn't happen again? I realized that some of the mistakes are being made or the quality, actually, they're not mistakes as such, they're quality drops is because these people, the new team is, they don't understand the outcome. They don't understand what we're trying to achieve for the client. In fact, they don't even understand what the page is sometimes. Let's say they're coding up a module in HubSpot or some piece. They're like, they don't even know what it's for. So therefore, they don't know what to test and that. So context is not there. The outcome hasn't been made clear. And so I really wanted to highlight this to listeners and especially marketing managers looking after a team, maybe in an agency uh, as well. Don't fall into that trap that I did, and but make sure you give them the outcome. So now what we're doing with the team is we're kind of saying every piece, even if it's a design brief for a client, it's, we might do a mock-up or a little wireframe. It's like, here's the outcome we want and here's why. Here's the goal. Oh, is it brand awareness? Oh, is it a lead gen form? Is it whatever? And I've got a bunch of other examples in the show notes. But I just thought that was really important. It's a lesson I've learned uh, just uh, in the last couple of months and maybe that'll save a bit of time for our listeners as well. Now, talking about that, Craig, when you were sharing before, one thing I was sharing with you is that I was observing people as clients we've worked with, as teams have changed, new leaders have come on. I've just observed the difference in when somebody, like the head of the sales team, really takes on HubSpot, takes on the ideology of how this can help them and help them with their sales, help them be better, help them be more efficient, and just how they drive people to be better and to make things better was really interesting because sometimes people just want to get stuff done. They just go, oh, I just want to get through my tasks or I want to just get that done. I don't want to hit another button if I don't have to. Whereas when you come from a perspective of, hey, this is really there to help me and if I can understand the client better if I can do the right action at the right time, if I can use sequences at the right time, if I can use the snippets to make my speed of response quicker, if I can standardize templates so that people are not rewriting things all the time and we have a standard response, all of these things uh, accumulate to a massive change and a massive difference in the business. And I've just noticed this. It's like stark contrast between just doing a task and really understanding the why and utilizing what's there for them. That's such a good example. And it's it's the difference between, oh, this is an individual tool that allows me to do my job versus this is a platform 
that allows our team to be more efficient and grow and therefore the business to grow. All right, Craig. Now, what was the hub shot throwback of the week? You know what they were just about to launch a year ago? Enterprise CMS Hub. Wow. Can you believe it's, it's a year? It feels like so long ago. And of course, as part of that, they relabeled CMS Hub as CMS Hub Professional. Correct. But then Enterprise was the new one. Yeah, that was a year ago, Ian. Wow. How time flies, Craig. All right. We've got a resource of the week, Craig. Undraw. Undraw, have you seen this? It's a set of open source illustrations. You've got to check it out. I've got a few in the show notes. I tell you what, looking at the show notes, it looks fantastic. It's really good. And you can set your brand color and then you do a search. So, and then I've got another example. I just searched for the term podcast. I set the brand color, the Hubshot's brand color, and then I've put in the show notes one of the examples. That's really nice. It is nice. And you can it? just use these illustrations anyway, drop them into presentations and web pages and things like that. Yeah, really nice. You know what? All of these things I see, it's just really how do you speed up the delivery of something to get a really good result? And that's what these tools are doing for us. All right. So that was the first resource of the week. Second resource of the week. Did you see Rand Fishkin's post? No. On zero click Google searches? So it caused a little bit of controversy in the SEO world. In this past <laughs> oh, week. surprise, surprise. Yeah, on Twitter, which is really the only social that I, I consume. Rand Fishkin, of course, former, well, founder uh, of, of. Um, Moz. Yes. But now he's got his own, another company, SparkToro. Anyway, he did analysis based on data provided by SimilarWeb, looking at the clicks in Google's search results and how many of them are what they call a zero-click search, which means they went to Google search for something, they didn't end up clicking out of Google off to a website. So they just stayed basically within Google. And that's been increasing percentage-wise. And in fact, looking at some of the results, zero-click searches on mobile were about 77% of Google searches on mobile are a zero-click search. They don't go off to a website. Desktop was better. It was 46%. But really, 64% or two-thirds of all the searches on Google result in zero clicks off to a site. So it's, I'm, you know, whether you think that's expected or not, it's quite significant because a lot of people think, oh, we rank organic, we get the traffic. No, Google gets most of the traffic, stays there. And so he published these findings, which I think is just interesting in itself. So it's a resource to go and look. Google responded rather disingenuously and they caught a bit of criticism for this, where they didn't, didn't even address Rand's post, but they aimed it, I think, at Search Engine Land or another uh, site yep. who was kind of using those using stats that, yes. and making their own commentary on it. You know, and they, they Search referred Engine to Rand. Land does a lot, yeah, yes. Yep. And they pushed back and were saying, well, no, the number of clicks that people have been getting has been increasing. And it was disingenuous because it didn't really address Rand's point, which is zero-click searches as a percentage have been increasing. They just replied and said, well, as an overall total, they have been increasing. And of course, when you've got a bigger pie, then of course, your slice of the pie, even if the slice percentage-wise is smaller, the overall size of the slice is actually bigger. So sure, there's more clicks going out to people, but smaller percentage of the overall clicks. So an interesting resource there. I think worth knowing for marketers for a couple of reasons. One, so they're in, they're understanding what zero-click searches are. And then, of course, there's a whole lot of work that people do around snippets to make sure that they do get the results in Google. So maybe you do get a bit of brand association or you answer the result. You don't get the click anyway. But, yeah, just understanding that and, yeah, just being aware that organic still is useful because the other way to look at it is, well, of the billions of searches, 
33% are still going out to websites. There's still a That's lot of traffic right. to be had. Correct. And when I haven't put this in the show notes, but the actual amount of paid was actually a very small percentage. People say, oh, there's so many ads. The ads take up everything. Actually, the percentage of clicks that go to ads is very small. It's, you know, just a couple of percent compared to the 30% of organic clicks still going. So still very worthwhile SEO and overall is growing in total volume, even if the percentage of available clicks is reducing. Now, one thing I do want to say, Craig, is that I often sometimes catch myself and think, well, observing how I'm traveling through search results, and especially on a mobile device, I tend to find lots of new things that they're testing. So I've sent you a couple of times some interesting screenshots of, you know, searches that I'm doing and the results I'm getting. And I'm like, oh, is that, is that what they're doing? And, and I'm always interested to see and just be observant of my behavior with search and how I consume content. And I think you're right. It's like, there are times when I'm like, I need that quick answer. I might not necessarily click somewhere, but I'm asking a question or I'm trying to decipher something. So I just take one of the snippets or I see the answer right up and then I move on. And there are times where I really delve down deep into going what, what I want to see. So even uh, like I usually do on a Saturday morning or maybe on a weekend because I, I cook and I'll be searching for certain recipes and I go through, I look at reviews, then I go and then I find the recipe. Now what is annoying sometimes with this recipe sites that I find there's so much advertising and I've got to scroll down way to find the ingredients or they've they've put so much guff at the top. I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. They right? tell you their life story on, you know, where they're living and what That's they're doing. Right. Oh, I just you want know the what? recipe, thanks. I just want to have that recipe and I want to make a nice meal and I want to carry on. But it just goes to show, it's like if if they're putting up all of these barriers to people engaging with content, right, and getting what they want – then Google will start stripping that and showing it at the front, right? So I can get my recipe. I know what ingredients, I know the method, I know away I go. I don't have to go through all that guff to get there. So there's another good example. Well, that's an example of where staying on Google actually does help you. You know what I've been finding lately? Because I am using search on mobile a lot more, which sounds odd. Well, of course, everyone is, yeah. But I've still found the mobile experience frustrating when I click through to sites. And I so I actually do a lot of my... I think I still do the majority of my buying on desktop. I'll give you an example. The other day, I wanted a high-quality leather four-ring binder. Yep. Four-ring binder with high-quality leather. You'd think that's a pretty simple thing that Google could give you results and that people would be providing. No. And I was looking through the shopping ads. I was like, the results are really bad. And I don't know if it's just shopping or just in Australia, but I find that the shopping results are very broad. It's kind of like they match poorly. So it's a bad experience. And so I, I'm probably continually refining my search, making it longer and longer to try and find and get some shopping results that actually match. And then quite often I am clicking through to the sites to go to these sites and then using their own search on their sites because like, oh, maybe that's the starting point. It's very frustrating. So I just mentioned this because my behavior, I'm finding I'm doing lots of clicks and lots of searching and I'm a frustrated you know, user. I haven't been getting a good experience, I find. So let me ask you, when you're doing a search, are you actually clicking the shopping tab at the top after you've done the yeah, search yeah, and then looking often. through this, the, right. just the shop results? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and they'll feed off. And it's surprising the amount of times I'm ending up on Etsy. Really? For products these days, yeah. Wow. Etsy, yeah. I don't, I, you know what, I expect Google will um, pull back on that. You know how you used to get lots of eBay results? Yes. 
And then Google's, oh, no, oh, no, we want you to pay more. Well, I'm, I don't know that, folks. I'm just, you know. <laughs> you just I'm, made a deduction I'm there. Just, I'm just. Um, shooting the breeze? I'm shooting the breeze. Etsy, lots of Etsy results. I reckon Google's going to clamp down on Etsy shortly because, yeah, I'm en- ending up on Etsy. And you know where I end up? Um, not so much on purchase decisions. Yeah. But uh, research decisions. Yep. Pinterest. We've been mentioned this probably really? a year ago. But the number of results that are Pinterest results, yeah. Even if you look up memes, yep. like the one yes, in the, you do. In the show notes yes. I've got at the start, normally they used to go after those meme generator and things like that, which is where I wanted to get to. Yeah. No, ending up on Pinterest. Correct. Pinterest has done such a good job with their SEO. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm sure Google will pull back and try and, you know, <laughs> downplay that in the future. But yeah, interesting how those experiences often lead so, listeners, I wanted to say, understanding all of this, if you're in a business and you're looking at how people are utilizing your site and utilizing search results, I really think it's very important that you even, we're going to the point of sometimes saying, hey, let's talk to our 10 best recent contacts and ask them a bit about how they found us and how they, what how did they travel to the, through the site? So get it from a user perspective about what their frustrations might be, but how they're also utilizing search and understand the journey. Because I think the better we understand that and just being able to address one or two minor frustrations could make a massive difference to your business. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone ask and ask those few questions or even, you know, give them something for their time to understand a bit more. Because if that's your ideal customer and you can get that, just imagine how many more ideal customers you can get in front of. All right, Craig, the quote of the week. From James Clear, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Wow, how appropriate. Mm, key, uh, I think, insight from his Atomic Habits book, which I read, um, I'm going to say a year or two ago when it came out. I'm due to read it again. That's one of the books that I have in my canon. I call my canon of like the, of the 20, to, 20 to 30 <laughs> Key books that yes. I will just keep reading and rereading. So yep. Atomic Habits is one, and this is a key insight from it. And you're mindful, though, also when I talked about outcome versus task space before, if you didn't even have systems and checklists, we'd be terrible onboarding people. But yeah, get them into the systems, but then an outcome destination mindset. All right, we've got lots of bonus links in the show notes and some big shots, hey, Craig? Yeah, that's right. Some articles from DigiDay around Google's changes and targeting worth reading. I've got a a few of my comments there. And then a really good one from Benedict Evans talking about the right questions to ask. You know, a couple of years ago, people asked, oh, what's the technology to use here and what do we do? And his point being, no, that's not changing. Software is no longer the discussion. So he gives the point. uh, People say when they talk about Netflix... They don't say, oh, what's the compression algorithm? Is that better than, you know, the reason it's better than Hulu is not because of the technology questions people are asking, oh, what's the bandwidth? It's like, oh, what's the content that I can get? What's the user experience? Correct. These are all product questions. Yes. So it's a long post he writes, and I've got a few of my comments there in the show notes, but well worth reading. Actually, talking about product experience, Craig, I just wanted to ask you, so listeners, you know I love cars and I'm trying to convince Craig to get a nice car. And uh, one of the things he mentioned to me a few weeks ago is he got the opportunity to drive a friend's Tesla Model 3. And I think your perspective or your experience has totally changed what you expected or believed a car to make you feel like, right? 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, well, I'll give some context on this, right? So, yeah. so listeners, I drive a 20-year-old car. Oh, no, it's probably 22 years. That's The anyway, Mighty Mighty Astra. The Mighty Mighty Astra, right? And it's uh, for various reasons. One, I just... I walk to work. I, I hardly drive ever, right? And in fact, unless you come to see me, Craig. unless I come to see you, it's like one of the times I drive. So hardly do any kilometres, and I kind of I'm not a car lover like you. So a car to me is a um, it's not an asset. It's you know it's a liability kind of thing. So, but so I've put off, and you know I like nice things, you right? Do. But yes. cars, I'm like ah, oh, well, you know I don't want to spend money on a car. <laughs> I drove this Tesla and Ann. Oh my goodness, I want a Tesla. I'm just like, the experience was so good. And I know when I drive in your car, because you've got a very nice car, I'm like, oh, experience is good. But yeah, the Tesla one was quite remarkable. I was not ex- I was not expecting it. That's right. Now, you mentioned a few key things to me was how comfortable it made you feel. I think that was a really interesting comment you made to me. Yeah. So, I've driven some, well, some performance vehicles lately at your encouragement. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm always, I'm sweating when I get you yes. know, at the end. I'm like, oh, I'm so nervous. And the Tesla, I did not sweat. I was so comfortable. I was just comfortable almost immediately. It was, it was remarkable, quite remarkable. And I think that's the thing, right? It's the whole experience of the drive or the experience of that product, essentially, that someone's thought about very well, mm. that's made you feel so much at home and at ease when you're in the car. So, listeners, if you haven't driven a Tesla, I would actually encourage you to go drive a Tesla. <laughs> or, or don't, because you might end up spending a whole lot of and money. And if you're going to buy one, just let me know. I'll send you my uh, referral link. I oh, got a referral link. There we go. I don't have a referral oh, link, don't. Greg. Okay. But you know what? I've actually seen people on YouTube where they have bought Teslas or they've made so many referrals from people buying Teslas because they own one and they talk about it that they're able to buy another one because of the referral. Oh, really? What's, so what's the referral thing it gives so you? So I think if you're an owner, you it used to be, I think they gave a certain payout or maybe free charging. I don't know what it was, but it was something pretty decent at the time. I don't know what it is now, but uh, something well, well worth looking into. Well, you know what? Speaking of referrals, and we didn't cover this, but I, I jumped over the DigiDay article in our Big Shots of the Week. Make sure oh, yeah. you go and read this, uh, listeners. It's in the show notes sign up at hubshots.com slash subscribe. And actually, one of the things I talk about there is that my take on it is we're going to see this explosion in referral-based systems. I'm not talking about the old affiliate models. I'm talking about referrals like the Tesla one, but also a whole lot of email newsletter temp, um, referral systems. I think they're going to grow because, well, for us, newsletters is one of those key channels that we own. And so we're going to look at that as well. But always consider um, loyalty programs and that piece. And I guess Amazon Prime is the perfect example of a loyalty program with benefits taken 10x. You know, most Correct. people you talk about loyalty program, they think about some airline mileage program with yes. reward points. Amazon Prime's just been a perfect example of it done really well. All right, listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you have a good week and you have a productive week. And our encouragement is that take one thing out of these show notes and implement it in your business and you will be all the more better for it. And until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.